Hey everyone, welcome to the show. We got Jack Lloyd back. Always love having him and or the philosopher on to talk about uh, talk about what's happening. And of course, right now there's a couple big things happening. There's a big thing and then a sub big thing. So of course, there's a crisis at the border. I live far from the southern border of the United States. I have heard that there are a lot of people from south of the border coming over and it's causing quite a few problems. Don't know from firsthand knowledge, but that's what I hear. Now, Jack, of course, is into libertarian and voluntarist anarchist philosophy. And what's one thing about libertarians? We disagree with each other (laughs) all the time, all the time. And so apparently I'm not on social media very much myself. Fortunately, there are wonderful people who handle the VIA accounts uh, volunteer with us. But I understand that there have been some unpleasant exchanges uh, between you, Jack, and the philosopher and Dave Smith. So tell me a little bit about that, because I don't know. I don't know anything about it except what people have told me. Sure. Yeah. The quick rundown is as fast as I can is that um, I criticized Dave Smith, not directly to him on a post that someone had made with a clip of him saying that he was calling um, Gaza an open air prison, that Hamas was the biggest gang in an open air prison. And I criticized that take saying that it was uh, disingenuous. It gives pe- people a, a distorted view on the reality of the situation. And there's actually a really, I think, important lesson in there as well as to why it's a distortion. Um, but he went and then reposted that from someone else's thread. And, you know, he made a quick thing like, oh, well, you know, they get weapons in there and stuff like that. It's kind of like a prison. Then he's like, and you're just jealous of me because uh, I'm on the big podcast and you're not. So, kind of a yes. Slow. Right, which I mean, I don't know what he means by big podcasts and stuff like that. Certainly big in terms of libertarian side, but obviously not been on Joe Rogan or anything like that. But um, so, you know, obviously in that situation, there was a point to focus on um, just the statements and state they focused um, or to take on the sophistry that he made. That was a non-argument. So I made the mistake of taking on the sophistry as well. <laughs> so, right. you know, I should have just called him out right there and then and, and been like, you know, showcase that, you know, you're making a non-argument and you're just trying to shame and maybe left it at that. But because I decided to, to go in on him on that um, and, and push back on that as well, in addition to the ideas, then it became something bigger. Because once he did, you know, saw that, then it became him defending himself about, uh, his history and his work. And in the process, there was different discussions about different things, um, you know, his work history and where he was at seven years ago, um, his influence with the Mises Caucus, whether they were a part of helping to boost him and things like that. Um, and then, you know, eventually you know, just getting to the point uh, where he decided to just call me and my wife uh, laughing stocks that nobody takes seriously and unknowns and all this other stuff. So yeah. I don't think that that actually went well for him. Um, he thinks probably that maybe it went well because, you know, he has his comedy side of people, but it actually caused a, a lot of people to uh, question Dave Smith, who are actually voluntarists and ANCAP stuff like that. So I think he um, he may have overplayed his, his hand a little bit there, uh, mm-hmm. thinking that by shaming us, especially um, obviously considering how much of, of work we do and, and, the content and all this other stuff in the history, um, it, it gets a little bit silly at that point uh, to say something like that. So yeah. uh, we, you know, we just took it um, and then regrouped and refocused it back to the arguments. You know, when it got down to that toxicity, we're like, okay, let's re- we regroup and focus back on the ideas and the issues because this is just getting ridiculous uh, with his stuff. Um, you know, just making it about that he has more followers and all this other weird stuff that's like, cool, that's not an argument about truth, evidence, reason. So um, mm. we, uh, yeah, so we just, we we, uh, we left it at that and then we just went back onto the, the specifics and made videos and other content that actually called out just the specifics of things that Dave was saying that we were like, these are, um, you know, unprincipled takes. And those things included, especially a, a recent clip that he was on with Clint Russell uh, talking about border issues where he said, we need to take all the troops and put them on the Southern border and basically make a military zone. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we're like, yeah, that's um, that's not actually getting us toward a libertarian order by creating a giant military zone on the border. 
So mm-hmm. we're like, you're, you're, you're getting people to think in, in, in these weird abstract, you know, ways about collectivism. Cause when he said that, he said, Oh, it's the will of the people. So he's starting to get into this collectivist rhetoric and we're like, yo, this is, <laughs> yeah, this is really damaging. And you might be thinking cavalierly like, Oh, well, whatever, you know, typical people think about collectivism and we, the people, but it's like, no, when you're trying to get people to be principled, right. If that's what you're supposed to be doing, you're supposed to be getting people to think about decentralization and getting the government out of the way and private solutions, you're going the opposite direction. So like we we True. can't just sit back and and not say something like this is this is that bad and you know he has a following that's significant that's why we would speak up if it's just some nobody account well who cares right but when you say something that grave and you have that big of a following we're like whoa that's really gonna trick people or, or distort people's reality on libertarian solutions and voluntary solutions especially for so, someone who they look to for specifically that kind of principled non-state solution as you would expect from someone who is a libertarian but uh yeah it's i i like i don't know dave smith personally i like his podcast i like a lot of the stuff that he says on it but uh yeah it's it's a little uh well we'll we'll get into the principal stuff later it's kind of disappointing that he would uh, just come out swinging with low blows like that to me one of the only advantages of social media is the possibility that you can think before you send something. Uh, I can understand in a conversa- conversation, if somebody says something stupid, me just saying, oh, that's stupid. But you can wait a moment and think, is that really the best thing to say to this person? And then you can type something different, hopefully something more polite. And I I find that if you're in in a conversation with someone and things start to get unpleasant, uh, the more polite you are on your side, the better you end up looking in the end, especially since it often just makes the other person more angry. But (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Definitely can. Certainly politeness was like not a strong point of the first round. We were generally actually focused on the principles, stuff like that, but obviously he didn't like that when we characterized you know, this is, of course, after he first said a few things. We didn't start off doing anything like that. But we, when he was like, oh, the, the Mises Caucus didn't boost me or anything like that, and he was literally downplaying the work of tons of people who made tons of content for him through the, the caucus. And that caucus itself was built by a bunch of different people. Like Dave Smith almost makes it seem like as if, oh, you know, I was the thing. As opposed to, you know, Michael Heiss, when he did it, and we were there from practically the beginning, we saw it. He reached out to a ton of different creatives and creators and other big figures, and they brought in different people. You know, everyone from us to Tom Woods, Phil Labonte to Mosh Trey, a whole bunch of people, and and people who now like have left the Liberty Movement entirely. People who had their own, you know, podcasts and followings and stuff like that at the time. So to me, I'm just like, whoa, <laughs> this guy's really gonna alienate a lot of people by what he's doing because obviously, if he's saying this about us, what's he thinking about? people who are far less than what we do, right? If we have 100,000 followers, what's he think about people who maybe have 50,000 or 10,000 or just a couple thousand, right? He, he thinks you're dirt. So yeah, so like, I didn't book. think he thought through that too well. Um, and especially on the Mises Caucus thing where so many people put in so much time, resources, volunteer hours, um, tabling, doing photos for him, editing videos, all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, it really not smart biting the hand that, that fed you. Um, I now, I don't know if, you know, if he'll feed that. Right, what's that? I can see where kind of where he's coming from because he's done a lot of work building himself up from just you know, a comic to what he has now, but he hasn't done that alone. And like you say, it just feels kind of, uh, kind of ungrateful to not say, you know, I've worked hard, yes, but so have a lot of other people and maybe humble, you know, a lot of other people have helped in this and I've been very blessed to be able to be here instead of almost like you're saying you're not as good as I am because you don't have as many followers. And, yeah, he, he really uh, he really goofed on that one because that really made a lot of people mad that, you know, maybe that's not the way he intended to come off. But right, because he just wanted to do one up and ship to us. But unfortunately, in doing so, he also cast a wide net of shame against other people and downplayed their work. And he didn't have to say that, as you said, he could have said the Macy's caucus was awesome. They were a part of like, you know, doing great stuff for me as well. And I brought people there, too. He could have just been complimentary and walked away from that. But instead, he had to go and deny their help which is really foolish because he, 
you know, and people didn't get this, that, you know, Dave Smith today is not Dave Smith 2017, right? Dave Smith 2017, he had been on Joe Rogan once in 2016. He only had 17,000-ish followers on Twitter in a year later, right? He didn't do his big, you know, Rogan shows where you're like, oh, that really big one to Ukraine, other stuff like that until later. And he didn't hit his like, oh, I was number one on iTunes for, you know, three weeks or something like that, you know, until a little bit later. So he was there being observed by libertarians and being brought in like, hey, you want to come on our shows, this, that, right, early on, because he wasn't that big enough yet, you know, and he got brought to Tom Woods 1000, you know, to do a little thing. So, it, you know, he wasn't the person that he is today. And it would be obvious to say that, like, you know, even someone like, you know, my wife, the philosopher had a way bigger presence in terms of content, multi-million view videos, you know, before the big purges and the throttling that happened, you know, as, as you know, back 2017, 18, all that stuff that happened. I mean, we were, you know, super hype back then, like, all that good stuff. So relatively, it was like kind of wild to us to watch him gaslight everybody about the history, downplay the people that you know helped him through that just to score brownie points to his audience on Twitter, which really soured a lot of people. And I don't think he's uh, realized that yet because he's focused on the people who are just going to you know die hard from no matter what. But other people are like, wow, I'm done. Um, and he's not going to feel that until later unless he you know pivots again, which ties into what we were thinking about before, which is why is he pandering somewhere else with the rhetoric? If, well, if you've alienated the ANCAPs and the voluntarists and the really hardcore principled minarchists, um, you know, that we that might, know. you know, cut your interest. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, uh, we can we can hope not, but uh, we'll see. Well, he, he did it to himself. And that's the whole thing is at the end of the day, you know, we've pushed, he hasn't liked us since the beginning. We, you know, we've pushed back against him before when he was doing the same types of things, the collectivist rhetoric and all this stuff. And he was shaming back then too. So mm -hmm. I don't know if it was a social media manager that did it or himself, but certainly our experience with him has, has generally not been good. Um, you know, cause we debate ideas. We're like, we want to discuss things and he's just, you know, wants to make collectivist generalizations and stuff like that. That's like, you know, normal stuff for a status person, right. You know, that's normal for like, oh, I'm on the path. I'm former Republican Democrat. And they're still using that fine. Right. But it's, it's really jarring when someone's like, I'm at the Mises Institute and I've read Mises and I've read Rothbard and you're still doing that. And it's like, whoa, dude, you didn't drop your collectivist baggage. You're still using we, the, you know, and the will of the people and all this other stuff. And like, yo, maybe <laughs> that comes from the, uh, <laughs> it is it is weird maybe it comes from his background as a comic having to phrase things in certain ways to try to get the highest number of people on board with what he's saying and because that's one thing that i've noticed too in listening to his podcast that i i don't like and dave if you ever listen to this some friendly critique here is the use of we like he'll say we are waging a proxy war on Russia's border. We, there's no we. We, <laughs> there are, ain't not no we. Doing anything. we are not doing that. We, no we. The federal government is doing that, but it's not we. Right. No. That, yeah. maybe, maybe he doesn't think that way <clears throat> and it's just coming out in what he says, but words mean things. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe go back and read Ayn Rand's anthem again. We is a word you should use less of, not more. Right, completely agree, and that, that's that's something that usually is is brass tacks. Once you've gone through the process of really studying libertarian voluntarist theory, it's like one of the first that signs that you've made it through there is you're like, oh, I'm no longer using we to describe the government, right? That's like one of the first symbols that oh, it it clicked. <laughs> so and yeah, surprisingly, he's never made it past it. But again, as you say, it could just be a habit from his comedy stuff, you know, because that's a big part of comedy is trying to emotionally relate to people's, you know, untapped feelings and things that they relate to and using collectivist terms. But it it's also destructive, right? Because as you know, if you say those things, you put people into that psychology as well. And mm -hmm. then you start getting people to think of those terms. And if you start doing that, then people have very sloppy thinking about who is doing what, who's responsible. And that's really important when you're dealing with property rights, violence, and all kinds of things like that. You, you want to make sure actor action causation is assigned correctly so true and that uh property rights violence etc brings us right around to one issue that i did want to talk about specifically which is the border issue a lot of a lot of stuff going on down there i hear as i say but i did since apparently dave uh, doesn't want to debate with you and the philosopher for whatever reason that's that's his right. Free speech. We all believe in it. Of course, of course. 
but so I took the liberty of looking at his one of his recent podcasts on it. It was um, part of the problem episode 1089, The Crisis on Our Border. And I took some notes of uh, the actual examples and arguments that he used. So we can I can propose propound some of those and uh, we can talk about them and why you or I might agree or disagree. No, about 22 minutes in, he made the argument that open or maybe loose immigration policy doesn't make sense now like it did in the early history of America, where it was a, a growing nation, a lot of frontiers to populate, factories, people to work in, uh, versus now when it's a welfare state. Oh, so ju just that framing? Yeah, which oh, okay. superficially, yeah. you know, more room. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> right. So, I mean, th there's several uh, issues with that. Um, and, you know, to be clear, I'm not here discussing open versus closed borders for myself because I'm a principled libertarian voluntarist and I don't have to play policy fantasy when it comes to these things. I don't I'm not in control of the border. I'm not in control of the federal government. I don't control one thousand nine hundred fifty one miles of borderlands across several states. Uh, you know, that's that's just so I'm playing policy fantasy. Um, I am here as an advocate for people thinking outside the state. So, you know, first and foremost, my my propositions are always going to be about privatization and getting the government out. Um, but when it comes to these issues with uh, welfareism um, and, and that being an issue, of course it's an issue. Duh. <laughs> right? I mean, the government is picking and choosing winners and losers. They're selectively enforcing the border, right? This isn't an open border. The government is not like, hey, if you're from Europe, come on in. We're going to fast track you for citizenship. No, it's just selective enforcement by federal agents and different states. Like, we'll have a program, but we'll take them in with buses and then we'll put them in hotels. And we experienced that. We were in New York. We shot our music video, Anti-State. The hotel we were at, the row that we were supposed to be at, they shut that down to make it for homeless and migrant people. And we had to go to another hotel. So we got to see this firsthand. Like we, we have the real experience. Oh. We watched it. We were there. <laughs> so we know that that's real. So the question then is not, you know, not about the border at the root. We're talking about the government incentives. The government is having a conscious actual program to do this. Like the government's like, yeah, we're going to fast track these people and start creating new, you know, voting demographics and this or that. So the question about the open and the closed borders, all stuff is a misdirection. The real problem is the these governments are in coordination themselves to try to do this planned population replacement program, right? You That's the root. So it doesn't matter if you're like, we'll put up some fences, fences or whatever. Okay, cool. Guess what's going to happen? If the government's that serious about it, like, cool, we'll send in people through trains. We'll have them go by boat. We'll have them go by plane, right? If the goal is we're going to get people in, they're just going to, if the government's consciously doing this, they're going to just go ahead and shift parameters. So like, okay, we're going to move this to a different direction of how we get people in. So, you know, it, it's very silly to think that um, if you're strong enough to control the federal government and to really control the border with soldiers and a military zone and, you know, whatever, I don't know if they're going to put landmines or something, right? All these areas and control the actions of all these state governments every day for all time. Because, you know, you may have seen online, you could have tons and tons of miles of really high border wall and barbed wire. You got one little hole in it and people are going to make TikTok saying, hey, guess what? <laughs> we found a hole where we found a tunnel to get in and they're going to go through that. Right. Yeah, it's, man. you know, it, and it's a huge border. We're not talking like this is a, you know, 50 foot by 50 foot gate and that's it. You know, it's, it's a huge like area. It's insane how wide it is because the U.S. government conquered a lot of people to expand on out with Manifest Destiny. So to mm -hmm. me, it's just missing the point. As libertarians, we don't have to talk about policy, fantasy, and the border, all this stuff. We should be talking about how the government is intentionally doing this. They need to be stopped. These evil people are stealing our money and giving it to other people through welfareism, kicking people out of hotels. Hey, I'm included in that. And they're, you know, their private property rights to, to carry this out. That's the solution to start with as an advocacy, because we don't control everything, but we can highlight what the evil of the government is. And if you can somehow get that much power, for, for the border, that you can get that much power to stop all these other state governments, whatever way you're going to do it. Because again, there's 50 yeah. state governments. They're sovereign and legal sense entities, right? 50 governments in addition to the federal government. So holy crap, you know, are you going to be able to stop every single one of these governments from doing this for all time? It's going to be very tough. But maybe if you could at least say, hey, the federal government, 
they should be out of this equation. They should not be subsidizing this. They should not you know, be doing anything like this. And you're consistent in that advocacy. You're already stopping a huge part of the problem. So, you know, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like you don't have to pick and choose. You can say at the same time, government shouldn't be in there. We should privatize the land at the border. Self-defense is absolutely important. And if you actually want to stop these perverse incentives and the drug war and the government doing this other stuff, and if you have that, again, if you have that much power for the border in the first place, you can do the other stuff too, because that is a lot of power to control 1,951 miles, right, contiguously. That is a massive amount of coverage to have active border security with walls and soldiers and checkpoints and all this stuff to stop any type of whatever, right? Digging tunnels, you know, catapulting stuff over, right? People would like launch stuff over, use drones, this, that, or people using, you know, boats, just like, uh, you know, in Florida, we have, we have the Cuban refugees, they come across, you know, and whatever they can float on, they're like, all right, we made it to the shore, <laughs> you know, the keys, right? So people who are desperate enough to come over, find ways. Right. And unless they're going to be like, we're going to literally send military to go put landmines and mass murder people to stop them, it's going to be very difficult to stop that pressure on its own if those incentives are there. And that's just basic economics, right? Create the incentives. Hey, destroy a whole population's living conditions. Mexico's terrible to live in. Destroy other places through, you know, various war efforts and, and you know, basically having a, you know, coups and stuff like that. Destabilize everybody. And now all of a sudden people's lives suck and they want to come back, you know, on into somewhere better, you know, tale as old as time, displaced refugees and other stuff like that. People trying to seek a better life. Wow. America, <laughs> the story of people coming over the Puritans and the Quakers. Okay. Not surprising. So until you get rid of those things anyway, you know, those strong incentives exist. And at some point you're going to be, you know, if you don't deal with those first, then you probably are advocating for mass violence. You're probably ask, advocating to like, we will kill you if you try to cross this. And then are they going to care if, you know, just like a police, right? Oh, police shot an unarmed person. Well, what happens if you have a million soldiers on the border stopping 700,000 people trying to cross? Is, is that all just going to be peaceful? Is that all just going to be, you know, <laughs> it's just, a, it's a scale of numbers thing too at that point. Because even if it's mostly peaceful, 99%, okay, so they maybe kill 5,000 people. <laughs> you know what I mean? When, you're, when you have that much. So yeah. it's just, it's just, it's silly. It's, it's a very silly thing that's fear driven where people just take whatever it is and they say, oh, okay, well, I have to compromise now. It's like, dude, the governments are just fighting on their own already. We already see that, right? You have the leftist states trying to, you know, maximize the, the welfare as the people coming in. You have the conservative states being like, we're going to try to set up these borders. They're just fighting each other as it is. You know, it's that's already going. That battle's going, whether whether we do this or not, whether we're libertarians talking about this, they're fighting. So our goal should be, hey, how do we move to a libertarian order and stop this nonsense? And if we don't get people to principally think about that, they'll just tolerate new forms of theft, whether it's on the left side, welfareism, this or that, or the police state side. You know, the government needs to check everybody a hundred miles in and check their papers and make sure they're not, you know, legal. And we need to have, you know, whatever, no Fourth Amendment and you know, suspicionless stops and all this other stuff. Like it's already happened with the hundred mile border zone. So, you know, it, it's just nobody needs to play any of these policy fantasy games. You just say <laughs> the federal government's the real problem. They need to be stopped. And if you don't stop them, no matter what, they're just going to keep doing it. Just like with the wars. You can sit there and blog about the wars. Are there still uh, wars going on? People being bombed? Yeah. The tweets, the podcasters didn't save a single life. Nobody, mm. nowhere. They didn't save a single person's life around the world. So that's that's a hard reality for those people, but that's the truth. And if you don't change people's minds, not just reacting to the news cycle, and you don't say, oh, okay, I need to consistently say, not the state, not the government. I'm going to, in you know, economic terms, support terms of others. Um, if you do political stuff, political terms, I'm not going to support anybody who doesn't go along with this principled outcome, right? You're going to say, no, I'm not going to go with someone who wants to increase state power. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. You're just not going to get there. So, but But on the other hand, I can see, especially if someone is... Uh, directly being affected by this, like uh, their hotel is being taken uh, to support refugees, or if they're, um, like you said, you believe the population is being replaced, then I can picture them very easily making that argument. Well, yes, okay, long term, that's what we need to do. But short term, we need to deal with this problem right now of people coming over. And so we need to get better border security right now. We can deal with, you know, all of the other stuff later on, but we have to focus on this crisis right now. How would you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, saying I'm going to focus on the crisis is great. Say, you say the words, I focus on crisis. Okay, what happened? 
did the border suddenly get closed? Nope. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, if you make a tweet, if you get 100,000 likes in your post, did the border close? No. So if you want to do something, what's the human action element, right? Beyond the statements, you're like, I'm going to vote for anybody who says, I want to strengthen the border. Okay, cool. You can do that. What else do they support? What else are they going to do with the government, right? You could sit there and single issue vote all day, just like an evangelical Christian might be like, well, I'm going to vote for whoever is anti-abortion. Cool. And they're also a neoconservative and they kill a bunch of kids overseas in a war. Okay, great. Did that work out for you? Well, you're like, yeah, single issue. And then, oh, wait, they're still murdering kids. It's just now they're overseas. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, you know, I mean, you can pick and choose all you want, but the empirical reality is that if you don't have that consistent principle, you don't shrink the state. You might have it shift in different ways, right? Like you know, someone like DeSantis, who's like, okay, I'm going to control the state in a way that maybe is a little bit more beneficial and freeing for, in some cases, but then still do other things that are not, right? Like attempting to do speech, you know, bans, especially as it relates to Israel, or, um, you know, giving more money to teachers and cops and trying to attract the vote that way, right? They just move it around in different games. And some people, at least if they're honest, they'll be like, well, I prefer this form of statism more than this run. And that's true. Lots of people do that. Some people are like, yeah, I prefer the state that has stricter gun control, but they have legalized weed. Okay, you can do that. You can say, I prefer the state that you know, has great gun rights, but the drug war is really hard. So you better not be caught with an ounce of weed, right? <laughs> like something like Louisiana or something, right? You you can pick and choose your, your status flavors all day, but you didn't get to liberty. You didn't get to, oh, my kids aren't being brainwashed in schools. You didn't get to, oh, the government's not going to war with, you know, 750 different bases in 80 countries. You didn't stop anything. You just shifted around the theft. So, you know, you need a total a totality of solutions in a culture change, and very few are even um, meaningfully able to do that. You know, the closest thing right now, of course, is something like Free State Project, right? Free State Project is probably one of the best examples of actually combining those things, the education, the activism, they get the numbers, the people they're actually taking over. That makes sense, right? That's actually like, oh yeah, you know that that's material. But for someone who's you know playing border policy fantasy, you know, in Texas and California and Arizona and and Florida, and all this other stuff, I mean, are you going to be able to control governments that control a hundred million people? No. Good luck. <laughs> but on the flip side, someone could also say, well, do you really think you're going to change enough people's minds in order to realistically decrease? the amount of government, whereas we might have a real chance of getting someone who can address this crisis, maybe a couple of others as well. So they might say, well, Jack, you're saying we don't have a chance, but we don't think you have much of a chance either. You keep talking about this liberty and things keep getting less and less free. How would you respond? Right. It, it, well, there it just is, is kind of silly because it doesn't actually matter, right? If you believe genuinely that you can get somebody to do this, then why hasn't it been done, right? I mean, hey, go ahead and vote for the person that you think mm -hmm. is going to magically solve it this time if they are otherwise unprincipled. It's not really like a, you know, an unproven thing. We have hundreds of years of political history to be like, okay, this person was on this single issue thing and how they do, right? You, you with Trump, Trump, like, oh yeah, Trump, he's our guy. He he's anti-establishment. Yeah. He's gonna build a wall. <laughs> yeah, that wall get built. <laughs> yeah. How how about you know after he did the initial tax cuts, a good thing, then he undid that with tariffs. And two omnibus bills, the second one after he said, I'm not going to sign another one. He did it again, of course, and we know Operation War Machine and all that stuff. Four trillion dollars later, a whole new government agency with Space Force, right? I mean, he did make some good Supreme Court picks. I'll give him that, you know, comparatively. But did the government meaningfully get smaller? Did the police state get curtailed? Did he free Snowden and Assange? Nope. So again, people just keep playing these political games and they keep getting tricked every time. But the reason, you know, I, and I think now more than ever, you actually, there is a real example, like the biggest example right now of that consistency is Javier Malay, right? Javier Malay is finally, you know, for a long time, you know, talking about this stuff, it's always been tough to, to, to point to somebody specifically because it is so hard to find someone who's willing to get gross in politics and who's also like that versed in economics. You know, it's very tough. Javier Malay is the first dude to kind of really do that effectively, right? You know, Ron Paul won. Right. Uh, but the number of federal agencies cut by Ron Paul is, is zero, uh, whereas the number of state agencies cut by Javier Malay is nine. So when we're talking about, you know, who's got, you know, stock here, uh, Javier Malay kind of, you know, 
outpaces out Ron Paul. Not unfortunately, again, not that Ron Paul didn't have any, you know, uh, pushback or, or any problems or things like that. You know, he he was hamstrung just by the nature of just being a representative. But when we're talking about, hey, what can you point to? Javier Malay shows if you have someone who's economically savvy, principled across the board, unabashedly, you know, is pro-liberty, hates the state, doesn't give socialism an inch, right? And they focus on those things. They give economics education. You can really shift a culture, right? He caused so many people in Argentina to suddenly pick up human action and to read Mises, Rothbard, Friedman, all stuff, right? He, he inspired a generation. So- those effects, you know, even if that man gets corrupted, bought off, blackballed, whatever, if he's Absolutely. the CIA asset, whatever, I don't even care. It's just literally at this point, you've never gotten a mass pilling of people who suddenly have been introduced to these ideas and these books and, you know, these principles that, that you would never have otherwise, right? It's like insane. It's like if you said 20 years ago, right, hey, there's going to be a president of a country of 45 million people who identifies as an ANCAP, cosplays as an ANCAP superhero, oh, and he wins, and in his first month, he cuts half the government. You'd be like, you're out of your mind. You'd be like, you are crazy. What crack did you smoke? Are you <laughs> – you'd be like, this is insane. You'd be like, you're a crazy person, right? It'd be nuts. You'd think, oh, yeah, sure. Okay, whatever, buddy. But it happened, and that's real. So that's why for me, I'm just like, y'all need to be learning, right? If you want to learn from him and the people who are successful, realize you don't compromise. There's no compromise needed. You don't need to pander. You just state the principles consistently. You call out the theft of the government. You say how socialism makes people poor and central planning causes people to be poor because of the economic calculation problem and because they hamstring ideas and innovators. And, and you call them out. You laugh at these people. You laugh at these sophists who try to tell you, yeah, people will starve in the streets if not for government welfare, right? Who, you know, oh, without the schools, how will people learn? You know, he just mocks those people relentlessly and he just kept going at it. So that's why I love what he does. And I and I really take a grind at uh, Dave Smith's compromise because in this time, when you had the clearest, most amazing, beautiful example of victory, that should have been, aha, what a wonderful example to look at and emulate and say, okay, okay. Maybe I can be more radical, you know, radical for us is just normal, but radical to the public in principles and just say, you know what, I'm going to teach you. I don't care if you complain. I don't care if you call me names or call me autistic or whatever. I'm just going to tell you government is evil. It's not the solution to your problems. We need to free the market. Entrepreneurs save lives, right? That should have been it. But we're getting compromises because people are chasing bags. They're chasing audience. And they're chasing clicks. They're not you know, taking that part seriously. They're not taking the opportunity seriously. And that pisses me off to no end. Like wasting an opportunity like that really does get my blood boiling. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. and, and on um, that topic, yeah. uh, he then, um, not right after that, but soon after in the episode, he made a couple of points that I thought were just almost bafflingly bad. Uh, he said, for instance, that a person has no right to immigrate, you know, to go mm -hmm. to, someone else's country uh, which of course would seem to me to be based on the country the government having any legitimate property rights in the first place and he tried to get around that by saying well the government i know i know it's wrong the government takes money from all of us though so you know we've been paying for it and that doesn't that seemed like a weak argument to me um, oh yeah that <laughs> because someone stole my money i have a legitimate um right in how he spends it instead of backing up and saying no this is this is wrong and uh, we need to stop this completely which he to his credit he does say sometimes but it seems like for whatever reason on this issue it's just kind of gets lost in some of the other things i'm not sure why but I mean, to me, it's just crazy because you could even take a, an interesting middle ground on that, right? I could see a middle ground right here, right now. You could say nobody has a right to immigrate unless they are buying a house or renting an apartment and they're actually coming, you know, to live and stay and not be a you know welfare recipient. You could have just said that right off the bat and be like, okay, that's reasonable, right? If you're moving over, you're actually, you know, you're you're actually moving into a place, you're you're actually having a home, you're not coming over just be like, I'm on the streets and you know, okay, get where's the welfare programs, right? That could have been an a halfway argument, at least. Not even that, because it shows you the collectivism is so deep. Once you once you think in those terms of, oh, the collective will and the government has this or that, you've lost the whole picture. You haven't gotten to property rights. And how could you deny anybody who's like, 
yeah, I have money and I want to move from Brazil to Florida. I want to, you know, there's an apartment for rent. I have the money. I'm going to sign a contract and I'm going to live there or I'm going to buy a house. How could you stop that with a willing, you know, property rights transaction between two private people? That's, that's nuts. Again, that's you could say, point. you know, right. It's like you I could make an argument. Someone else stop that. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you Again, you can make a halfway argument and I might be like, okay, that's at least somewhat reasonable to say. I understand wanting to not have someone who's actively trying to get on the welfare system intentionally for whatever reason. I get that. I can get that. But then to say categorically, well, we're going to stop anyone who actually has a real reason. Like maybe their family lives there and their family's like, yes, you can come live with us. Again, they want to rent an apartment. They got to, they're going to get a job or they have a job lined up. And again, they buy in a house or whatever it is, or, or the work is putting them up in a place, whatever. <laughs> You're denying free market transactions of people who are willing to literally have you know, someone come over for a business purpose, a legitimate, you know, thing. So, and that doesn't even require too, like some of these people be like, oh, well, they need an insurance bond to come over because what if they do something bad in the future? I'm just like, you're just creating more status games and check marks and papers and and, and forms for people to be tracked and controlled. It's like, just stop <laughs> like yeah. for five minutes could you stop trying to grow the police state and just be like hey can we like focus on property rights and you know even if there's something halfway that it's just at least property rights related you know what i mean like actual discrete property rights yeah so. instead of the state uh, <laughs> having a public property so-called right another thing uh dave said which again it's a it's a popular line and maybe he just got caught up in this popular line but he said that criminals and drug dealers are coming in and we can't have that but that didn't that didn't seem to me one to be a good argument to keep out everyone else who is coming in who is not a criminal or a drug dealer and two anyone could be a criminal or a drug dealer if you don't know them <laughs> and are you not going to associate with anyone because they might be a criminal or a drug dealer oh it, i mean it's like the most Republican boomer posting, like framing possible. When you hear that, you just hear some like New York Republican come out of him. So mm -hmm. it's funny because as you say, exactly, like the whole framing is just bizarre. Criminals and drug dealers, which as a libertarian, like drug dealers. Okay, cool. That sounds great. And then criminals, like <laughs> which kind? The victimless crime or the victimless crime? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, the thing that he's trying to do is, is play to um, uh, fear, right? Whenever you say something like that, and I talked about this before in a little... Uh, thing I talked about online uh, just to just today that his framing is a fear-based framing right so if he whenever you're you're talking to to people and you're trying to get them really engaged right you can um appeal to certain emotions to get the highest uh I guess you could say results in in terms of reception right fear love sadness greed um these types of of strong emotions can really move somebody right so if you trigger someone's fear and and their amygdala um they can get into that fight flight freeze kind of framework right so if you you drill that in um that's how you get the oh my god uh, uh, i just need to to have some you know halfway thing just to just to protect me they're they're coming in um right now do something right exactly so it's it's a great tool for trying to stir action uh, and, and getting someone really sucked into your your statement uh but very anti-philosophical when you you break it down. The question is: Is are you just worried about criminals and drug dealers? Not that drug dealing is itself, the, you know, inherently uh, unethical. Um, but is that the case, or is he really worried about people who are violent? Right? You know, if if he was taking this from a libertarian language perspective, he might say there are thieves, muggers, rapists who are coming in, or murderers. Okay, at least. You're dealing with crimes of victims, not as uh, sexy though as a framing it as using the big, you know, True. right pandering buzzwords, right? Criminals and, and drug dealers, right? The traditional uh Given the know, opportunity he may have 80s, 90s, right. Into that, you know. right, right wing uh, kind of thing. So um yeah, I mean I, I think that that's just a silly framing um in terms of uh the, the position. There's certainly better positions, I think, to take, and very few of them. In, in this space actually take it it's because it's kind of funny alex jones talks about it more than than they do and I, i'm surprised they don't take talking points from him on that but alex jones will say like there's chinese spies coming across or um there's terrorists coming across you know islamic terrorists and, and things like that and personally i think there's there's definitely truth to those things because all governments engage in espionage all governments engage in subterfuge this is not like special unique it's always happening right it's not like a is this happening today like no 
every major government has agents. They have agents throughout the world. They have spies. This, this is just normal run-of-the-mill stuff. So it's it's not really weird. Um, but the question is, is what what is going on there overall? Is there coordinated purpose? And so some people frame it as, okay, the Chinese government is sending in enough people that they could maybe do political uh, subterfuge, uh, you know, takeover positions in different places. I know there's some video of uh, a non- citizen Chinese woman who was speaking Mandarin, I think, um, who is getting onto some review board in San Francisco and this or that. So, you know, when they talk about this, right, we as voluntarists, we're like, yeah, we don't care that it's from some other government or from other place. We care that the government has power in the first place. Like, you know what I mean? We're, they, we didn't get like scared. Either. <laughs> right. Like <laughs> uh, we didn't get scared or whatever, because uh, it's some Chinese person taking over. We're concerned because anybody having that position of authority uses it to plunder and to control and to murder and to destroy life. So, you know, it, it's pandering, of course. It's always pandering. It's something that, oh, if we we tap into the, you know, right wing media kind of thing. Um, and I say that in the mainstream state of sense, of course, you know, not right wing and like an economics purely thing potentially, but Whatever, that's another discussion. But you get the idea that it's it's the mainstream right or alt-right media that they're trying to do those buzzwords to signal to attract a lot of stuff. So, you know, <laughs> as a libertarians, the, the first thing that we should be asking ourselves here is uh, whose rights are being violated, how and why, right? What are the profit rights? And, you know, there's, there's many different issues that go along with that, obviously. Um, but the core aspect that needs to be addressed is that there's a lack of privatization, right? And until you start privatizing, you're constantly having people fight over scarce rivalrous resources through the ballot box, through voting. They're like, oh, what's the best way to use public schools? Should we teach kids gender theory or should we teach them BLM? You know, should we teach them, uh, you know, this religious text or this? Or what? It's just everyone's fighting over the system of control. And so I'd be like, yeah, um, this control is bad. Get your kids out of here. We need to break up this government control on schooling. It's not education, of course. It's, it's really brainwashing at the root. Um, and that should just be our focus, like in, in terms of everything we could possibly do. And if you get any political power in, in terms of being you know, elected or this or that, you want someone in there who's like, okay, how do I get uh, government out of this? How do I make it easier for families to exit, right? Like you think like if there's any state where there's homeschooling requirements that, oh, you have to like get permission or you have to do check-ins and stuff. The libertarian position would be like, make it as easy for people to get out of there as possible and get their tax money back too if they can, right? Letting people opt out. Woohoo! Yeah. libertarian solution. Not that crazy even, especially with the school choice movement, you know, being a thing right now and that being more popular yeah. and families leaving. Um not as difficult to get people to be on board with these days. Uh, but again, is that the easy road? Is that the cheap and you know easy road for people to get educated on these nuances of advocacies that if you promote them, actually get kids out of abusive situations instead of just making the classrooms nicer? You know, it doesn't really uh, fit those short-term bills and those short-term panderings and those short-term, oh, hey, I'll invite you on my, on my bigger podcast thing because you talk about this this way. Um, so, you know, that, that's just sad. That's a tragedy of those incentives when someone hasn't been held to account, right? When, when someone has a, uh, um, you know, a bigger following from something else, they have outside success, they bring that into Liberty sphere and then they don't get fully principled, but they use their position to then say to others, well, my my version of libertarianism is better. My version of ancapism is better. And you're perverting these things and you're just unrealistic. You're utopian, right? They're manipulating a fandom, an existing fandom, to their own purposes, right? So psychologically, this is so someone who doesn't want to accept those root principles. They want to profit. And I don't say that in the nice, you know, capitalist way. I'm saying in a, in a manipulative way in this case, which, you know, maybe I shouldn't do, but you get the idea. They want to monetize maybe is better um off of that existing fandom and they want to make it so that that fandom will exist within their comfortability right they want to manipulate that group into fitting their paradigm of what they're comfortable with what they have not given up from their status baggage mm -hmm. and then that lets them play both sides because it's like oh cool i can be in this niche thing that has a significant fandom thanks to lots of growth of people doing you know things with all street economics and all this other stuff 
And, oh, I'm going to also dip into the other side of things, the more mainstream conservative culture stuff. And, oh, I'll get some fans there and I'll get some more ticket sales there and all this other stuff. So, you know, to me, it, that really is disheartening. Um, you know, I understand the economic incentives of wanting to make money and to be like, oh, I provide for my kids and I can give them a nice life. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, but if you do that at the expense of principled rhetoric and you literally strip apart the hard work other people did to get people principled and use sophistry, and this is advanced sophistry. I mean, he is like a PhD in sophistry uh, because he he's so good at doing it. it. That was what actually impressed me and my wife is he's so good at taking what you say, flipping it around, and then making a personal attack and, and redirecting that a lot of people don't know it because they're not typically armed with you know, reason and rhetoric, right? The, the average person is wholly uh, you know, unequipped to deal with rationality and I mean like oh actually you didn't make an argument there you just called names or oh actually that wasn't their position you actually did a straw man or oh you know you moved the goalposts that kind of stuff so whereas typically libertarians volunteers the hardcore ones tend to be a little bit more uh you know savvy on those things <laughs> so, so yeah let's let's go back a little bit to uh, growing the crowd and the uh, the incentives behind that so I understand where you're coming from with um lamenting perhaps the loss of principle, uh, pure principle that goes along with that. But flipping it over on the other side, couldn't someone like Dave say, well, look at all of the people who I've been able to bring in who never would have even taken libertarianism seriously if they hadn't heard about it from me on this show. And that's because I frame it this way that that's able to happen. Right. And that's an easy one to debunk, uh, fortunately. <laughs> uh, and the reason why it's so easy to debunk is you actually look at the results, right? When you look at the results of what Dave does, if you bring somebody in, but then you validate their status conceptions, you haven't actually moved anybody. You've just convinced people who are not libertarians, they're libertarians. And like, I'm a libertarian. And they're like, but we want strong borders. We want more government spying. And oh, we just want the government to be you know, nicer parks. Okay, cool. Well, you haven't actually become a libertarian. You just called yourself that. So that's what happened. And then the toxicity that came out of his mode of communication, where tons of people are just calling names and like the most low level personal attacks you can imagine, waves of it, um, is just something else. It really shows you that that's the type of audience he built with Legion of Skanks um, and, and the kind of uh, intellect that comes with just you know body humor, you know that kind of thing. Again, nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with, with that kind of humor, but don't conflate people liking you for that with, oh, they have an intellectual development. They become libertarians, become principled. So he's actually rubber stamping um, just Republicanism light where people don't actually become principled. And those people will flake um, as usual, because if they haven't become grounded, what happens the second something becomes uncomfortable, it's time and again happens is, oh, this is the most important election of our lifetime. Oh, there's this one issue. And yeah, libertarians are stupid. They don't understand. This is the real world every time. This is an old cycle. It's gone on, you know, since forever. Um, so he's not actually grounding people. Um, he's actually just rationalizing um, their lack of being principled, which of course leads to to flaking. And and we're talking about empirical human action. What do these people do? Do they these people go? Yes, we're all going to vote for libertarian candidate this election season or something like that? Like on the status side of things? No, they go. Oh, who's the next best person? RFK, Vivek. You know, oh, wait, well, we need to vote for someone who's Republican this time because the border is too important. They just they go right on back to their status ways every time. Mm -hmm. And then they destroy whatever was built because in the process, they create these conflicts over their framings through the fear-based mindset. Um, because again, it's not based on reason, evidence, or being, you know, property rights oriented. So people are fighting each other over the the halfwayisms and the second best solutions and stuff like that. So they're like, whoa, none of you control the government. None of you are going to get 1% of anything when it comes to the polling season this year. Forget about that, especially with some of the other optics you know, of Dave Smith's rhetoric. They're going to alienate other people in, in the population otherwise for mainstream state stuff, right? So no Gary Johnson or Ron Paul in, the, in this case, right, where you have kind of you know a little bit more of a broad-based neutral framing for things, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it is very self-destructive, and, and he um, fundamentally can undo um, – any good he has done. I think that's actually the scary part that uh, people should realize is that if you have built up an audience on good pretenses, and I don't knock that, I don't knock Dave Smith for doing a, a good job of talking about the basics and talking about some issues on many different podcasts. I do not fault. There's, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. I think that's great. And I would not want to take away from that. But you can do that and then completely destroy it. No different than Trump being like, I cut taxes and then, oh, here's 
tons of government spending, more agencies. You can sit there and say, hey, check out libertarian economics and stuff. Oh, but by the way, I want you to compromise on your principles. That's just not, this is some nice, fun academic stuff, but that's just autistic stuff. That's just too nerdy. Let's be real. Let's support government and they'll do it right this time if we just come together this one time. So it, it is something that is, uh, is, is quite comedic to me having watched it time and again, and especially again, in light of the biggest success of a voluntary scan cap person, at least self-identified in terms of word and action, empirical, you can look at his history. He did a lot of ex economics education. Javier Malay did it, right? So we don't have this like, well, we don't know what works yet. Like, no, we know, <laughs> we know it can work. Mm -hmm. We've seen it materialize. We've seen what that can look like. Mm -hmm. So don't pretend that, oh, this is just your pie in the sky utopian dream. And you'll end up in a boxcar if, if you don't support this candidate, this Republican candidate, this Democrat, whatever it is. You know, this time. Um, so, you know, I think people need to get grounded in reality of what they are, who they are, what their actual impact is. The we thinking, the collectivist thinking, where they get, you know, delusions of grandeur need to go. <laughs> they need to be honest with themselves about what it is that they're doing, where they're at, where their political landscape is. Um, and then think about what's in their control, right? And that's what we hold near and near to our hearts, right? Me and the philosopher, we are like, hey, what is in your control right now? What could do you control? You don't have to ask permission, right? Get your kids out of school. Boom. You've just saved them from years of brainwashing damage from the state, right? Think about private alternatives to things that you might use with the state, you know, whatever it is. Think about supporting those in liberty who are in line with your values. Whatever organization, maybe it's, you know, they make cookies, but they're libertarian. Maybe, you know, they offer some web design services. Maybe that's voluntarism in action, whatever it is. We are like, support those who are principled because you're investing in that economy and that's going to pay it forward with more people being, you know, supported for principled outreach, right? Um, you know, things like that. The, that? It reminds me of the, the counter economics of agorism, which is one of the, what I've seen put forward is one of the only real solutions is building those other systems outside the government. And you're right, supporting and people like that example, we're doing our Rooted in Voluntarism campaign this year through Agorist Acres, which is the small uh, small business that's selling seeds, which we found out about through your Voluntarist comic, and they advertised in there, which I thought was pretty neat and pretty fun. Yeah, it, exactly. It is it is neat like that. And th those small little wins are something to think about and like cherish and understand that those are real impacts, right? Like when I take whatever I have, you know, advertiser-wise, except my comics, you know, I, I promote things that are alternatives to, to the status norms, like pre-search, a voluntarist created search engine, right? Simple as that. Oh, wow. There's a search engine that's better than DuckDuckGo, which is, you know, they claim to be privacy-oriented, but they're mm, not really in the, their status, right? I mean, there, there's things like that. There's There's music, there's culture, there's food, there's entertainment. I, more than ever now, I mean, you definitely know. I mean, Voluntarist is one thing, Ripperverse is another thing, Tuttle Twins is another thing. We are so, uh, you know, enthralled to see how many different people have come with creative, wonderful things to uh, enjoy within the Liberty Voluntarist sphere. And how if you keep stewarding in there, you're going to grow that culture long term, right? Politics is its own little beast and you know, politics continues to, to prove that it corrupts. Um, but there is a place in time for if you can get the right messenger in there, at least at a bare minimum, you can change some serious minds. And those minds go on to change the world like Ron Paul did. Ron Paul, 30-year career politician, he did not change a lick with the Fed. But you know what he did do? He inspired a generation, and that generation went on to go and do their own liberty projects and their own big things. And now the number of people who are libertarian, voluntarist, ANCAP, that whole sphere, it is so massive. People don't – I think they don't really appreciate it. It is so huge. There's like whole different like cultures and enclaves of tons of people in different zones of it. There's like – there's whole different social circles, massive ones too at that. Where you can go to one thing and then step out of that zone and go to a whole other thing like, whoa, and you're libertarian too, they, but they have different flavors here and there, but it's like, but you are, right? So it, it's it's really something to, to take a step back and just appreciate how far we've come. And I think uh, in the darkness of fear-based mongering, people lose sight of that. They sit there and go, oh, this is it. We're going to die. It's like, okay, well, if you're going to die, then you're going to die. You don't control the government, right? You, you don't, you're not going to stop a nuke if they hit the button up there, are you? So 
<laughs> you better think about how you change minds to maybe stop that because that's the best shot you got is actually having a principled cultural revolution so strong that even if there's a statist remnant that's still holding on, like, like they're trying to keep on the controls, they can't resist. Right. And that was part of the success of what he and others did, you know, from free thought project. And now that, you know, legacy anti-media and other different people who are doing that kind of contact creation, it got so powerful that the mainstream politicians started to have to cater. You had politicians starting to, you know, give nods to anarcho-capitalism and saying taxation is theft, right? And gun rights being like, shall not be infringed, like literally gun rights, absolute stuff. This is just unfathomable. 30 years ago, you'd be like, yeah, okay, sure. People are going to like openly know like the phrase popularized taxation is theft. Yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, people are going to hear about Ron Paul and he's a cultural icon. Yeah, whatever, <laughs> buddy. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, even mainstream Norbies know who Rod Paul is now, right? He's he's that deep in the meme culture that he's been, you know, meme to that point. It's and, um, exactly. It's like, <laughs> they don't get it. They don't they don't appreciate it. And there's and they, the people who uh do it for the wrong reasons, they squander that opportunity. And that makes that's just what really, mm. you know, and quote Peter Griffin grinds my gears. Yeah. Uh because you know, but yeah. Before before we wrap up, there is one other point that dave smith made in his podcast i thought probably his strongest one because it at least seems to come from a place of principle i think kind of combining principle and um not convenience what's the word i'm looking for agritism no i'll just explain it okay (laughs) so he gave the argument that yes this isn't ideal we would want the government to not exist, not want there to be a border there. But the way it is currently happening is more and more of these people come in and the more they come in, the more the government violates the legitimate property rights of people, whether it's stealing their hotels in order to house them, whether it's taking more tax money from them to support them. And therefore that trying to stem the flow of immigrants into the country is a legitimate strategy because it's a strategy to try to protect people's property rights. Right. I mean, you could you could frame it that way and say, okay, we're going to generalize and say every person coming across the border is being shipped to New York and being put in a hotel and they're there for theft. Okay, that's you can make that argument. Is that empirically true? No. I mean, certainly it is true for a, a quite a number of people, but then again, you have to walk through the specifics of what's happening because it's like saying this, oh, they shouldn't be your cool. Okay, so how are you stopping them, right? And these are like the economic things, like, you know, just like the, okay, and then what? Like the the broken window fallacy, right? Like, oh, they broke the window, they fixed it. See, look, economy grew. And you're like, whoa, what's the unseen? So what's the unseen of the advocacy of how you're stopping them, right? What are you you trying to argue for? Uh, A border wall should be built along 1,951 miles, and the federal government should use violent force against people to build that? If it's on private property, if it's on a state that doesn't want it, like the battle between Texas, you know, and and the feds, right? And and then you have, uh, you know, maybe the reverse of that, which would be California, right? So so they should have fights over that, like because on one hand they'll say, like Ron Paul did, oh well, this is the federal government shouldn't be out, let the states deal with it, right? That's his halfwayism, like this is a states' rights issue, Polit- political thing. I get it. But then, okay, Texas builds a crazy border wall. They're like, yeah, we're going to do this. We're even going to put like patrols out on, you know, horses and they'll lasso people and throw them back over the wall, whatever they do. Uh, do you control California? <laughs> you think California is going to put up a wall? Nah. Uh-uh. <laughs> so they're going to, in fact, they might even be like, yo, get on a boat and just come around. If there's a wall, get on a boat. Put it. So at some point, you're going to have to sit there and say, are you going to put landmines? Are you going to put, you know, machine gun turrets and you see a 10 year old running across? Poof, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, at some point, you got to realize if you have this level of pressure, because there's, I, I think there was an app where it was like some type of amnesty thing. And they said, um, you know, if you use this app, um, you could be fast tracked for amnesty. And it was something like 63 or 4 million applications came through, like through Mexico or something like that. And like, dude, if you have that much pressure of people trying to come up, you're at war level, right? At this point, you're going to be like, well, I guess we'll just have to put landmines there because how are you going to stop that? As long as there's any crack in that, and that's a huge border, right? That's massive. As long as there's any crack in it, with modern technology, it's just not really um, you know, feasible to, to 
keep that closed that long, right? Just like, you know, anybody else might try to, you know, get drugs across the board, this or that, they'll they'll dig tunnels as long as there's monetary incentives uh, for, for coyotes, for people trying to flee persecution or if they, their own claims, right? Foreign governments want to send in agents. Okay, so you think those foreign governments are going to have trouble trying to get around that too, as long as there's some there's state that's open. There's nothing we can do now. They, they built right. <laughs> right. So it's like it, you you keep coming back to the core root problem, which is that the amount of money and resources you're spending to try to build a wall comes at the opportunity cost of what could you do to try to stop the state welfareism, the cronyism, the birthright citizenship, all of their stuff, right? You you know, the, you're, you're going to have opportunity costs. What, so what's your opportunity cost? Do you think that the best use of your time is like, Ooh, Rob, government goes to the border. We'll build a huge wall. Hopefully, no cracks in it. Maybe all the states will agree. Maybe it'll be, you know, all these years of fighting over it. Maybe. I don't know. I don't control the government. I certainly don't control every single state government. And I certainly don't control or don't pretend like as if the Libertarian Party candidate is going to uh, win in a landslide this next election and uh, carry that out. So uh, at best, what these people are going to be saying is vote Republican. Right. That's it. They're like, well, maybe the Republican candidate, they're more likely to build the wall this time. It's like, OK, if you want to keep um, believing those lies and uh, keep on seeing how they play the game, they pretend to do it, they do it partially and they keep the, you know, the whole thing running. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that's that's on you. Uh, for me and everybody else, we're realistic about the nature of federal power, that it is a absolute monster. It is a you know a behemoth. It's a Leviathan. And the only thing that's going to stop this is literally saying, not the government. No, get the government out of this, privatize this across the board. Every state that you're in, if you're on a border state, the goal should be we just need to privatize this and advocate for this as much as possible to end these welfareisms. Because again, yeah. it's I was thinking it, about it uh, in a similar way, sorry, is that you're going to let's say let's say, okay, we want to cut that off so that the government stops stealing as much. Uh, from us, infringing on the private property of American citizens. But then how are they going to get the money to do whatever they do at the border? They're going to take it from American citizens one way or another. So right. it's uh, it's a trade-off. And no matter which way you slice it, the issue comes back to the existence of the government itself. And it's saying there's this imaginary line that you cannot cross and we're going to take your money to stop other people from coming over. Any other solution that you propose, aside from one that will get rid of the government, is one that will not ultimately solve the problem, because the problem isn't that there are people who want to come here. That's a good thing. That means this is a good place to live. But the problem is that there is a government that will decide where people can and cannot live, how much of your income you get to keep, and how much they're going to take away, that is the root issue, it seems, to the entire thing. Sure. And, and they also talk about, you know, the voting stuff too, which there's a little bit of humor for me at this point with that. Cause it's like they, they're like, oh, they're gonna come over and vote. I'm like, I don't know if you checked, but last I I checked, um, you know, they don't need them to vote. They just have mail-in ballots and they'll let dead people vote. So <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, don't, yeah. I don't think that really is, is a core thing anymore. I think everybody learned that lesson that they're just going to, you know, fabricate those, you know? <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I think it's more so the welfare is in the rationalizations, if anything, um, mm-hmm. at this point, uh, you know, when it, com- when it comes to that. So yeah. And then again, the problem isn't the people coming over. The problem is the state itself. And you just got to keep pushing back to that. But you know, that's, that's how I, th- see things. And again, this wasn't, of course, I'm a poor substitute for Dave actually representing his own ideas. Uh, I was just copying what he said in in the podcast. And you phrase things differently when you're in a debate with someone. So, you know, Dave, if you want to come and debate or discuss, hash this out, come to a middle ground, I'm happy to host. I'm welcome to be persuaded either way. We're almost out of time. It's I like shorter podcasts, so this has gone longer than I would like, but we covered a lot of good stuff. Before we go, do you have any last-minute pitches, things that you've got going on, projects you've got going? Yeah, just a few little things. So uh, you could check out my work at Jack, J-A-C-K, V is in voluntarist, Lloyd, L-O-Y-D, so that's two L's, jackvloyd.com. Links to all different types of stuff to do, including my uh, nonfiction books. Uh, my latest one is uh, Philosophical Voluntarism, which combines philosophy plus voluntarism to give you a good sense of what to do. Uh, a Vision for a Libertarian Future is an incrementalism. So this is a nonfiction book that helps you think about how to increment in terms of getting rid of state power in a way that doesn't throw us all into chaos, because I know a lot of times people get 
What's that? Like a baby steps type thing. Right. And incrementalism. Exactly. So, you know, people often get caught up and be like, oh, well, what do you want to do? And what, what's going to happen to be chaos? And it's like, well, here's a simple way to just think about it in terms of dismantling state power and moving toward market order. So I wanted to give a framework for that. And I often use this to you know, talk about those types of issues. And then my foundational seminal book, The Definitive Guide to Libertarian Voluntarism, a very one. popular one, <laughs> which uh, gives everybody um, the foundational principles of liberty, defining libertarianism, voluntarism, applying it in your life and making it defensible in a readily relatable way. So that way you can go out there and actually defend these principles. And they're all, as you can see, you know, not too long, about a hundred pages each. And we are uh, now out with our voluntarist uh, yeah. origins. Yeah. Trade paperback. That uh, was awesome. Yeah. Actually, I know you have just the little ones. I didn't go for the big one, but <laughs> I, I really appreciate your support. It was so awesome to have you on board. And, you know, I know that you uh, have been a big fan, so I do appreciate that. Uh, but the, uh, the origins trade payback here is, is the one to six issues that just came out. Um, so we had uh, just wrapped up our, our latest campaign for the next arc, which was successfully funded. Suitsaga. And yeah, Suit Saga. So you know about that. And so uh, we've been working on that. Actually, uh, the prints are being work on, uh, worked on right now. So we're moving along you know, quite quickly on that. So it's super awesome. So definitely check that out at Vol Comic. That's V as in Voluntarist, O-L-C-O-M-I-C, volcomic.com. And then last but not least, in terms of current things that are productive, creative things, I have the unschooled adventures of Jack and Fa. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a kid's book out that we uh, we created to help inspire families to think about unschooling and thinking about education outside of compulsion. So we created this first little book that introduces the world of Jack and Fa at this unschooling center. And in it, it's got uh, over 50 different uh, full color uh, illustrations um, with some really cool situations and people and definitely lots of uh, Easter eggs for Liberty. So it's a, it's a pretty fun book um, that's meant for like nine to 13 arena, but you could read it with you know pretty much anyone, even adults could read it and enjoy it and be like, oh, okay, that's kind of interesting to think about what unschooling is especially if you're not as familiar, maybe you know about homeschooling. Um, so we, we've been working on that. It's a bit on Indiegogo right now. Uh, so you can check it out on Indiegogo. It is on Amazon print on demand as well, but the Indiegogo has special extra perks like um, uh, bookmarks, stickers, uh, signed copies if you want. So that's our way of, again, furthering the educational cycle of helping families think outside of state schooling, just inspiring people to think about what that could be like, because um, that's, that's kind of our hope, you know, possibly even one day ourselves is to open up an unschooling center, a more formal, uh, you know, learning center, you know, free to learn center kind of thing. And we want to help inspire families to consider making that as well, you know, because It'd be great if more people were able to work together, come together, and and open up unschooled uh, facilities for for children to freely uh, learn and uh, and engage the world with. So, well, that's fantastic, Jack. Thanks again so much <laughs> for coming on. We'll get uh, we'll get links down in the description for all those great projects. But thanks again. You have a great day. You too. Thank you for being on. Thank you so much for watching this video. If you like what we do here, please like, share, subscribe, comment. And go over to our website where you can offer donations, request help, help us help people who are in need voluntarily. And we'll see you next time.